Well, if you have your Bible with you today, open up to Psalm 100. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. You can look on the screens with us. The scriptures will be up there. But we're going to be in Psalm 100 as we conclude uh, our summer preaching series through the Psalms. We have been looking at different Psalms each week uh, in this series called The Songs We Sing. And what we mean by that is that, you know, we have, uh, there's such a wide range of emotion um, that God has created us to feel and experience, but as sinful creatures, we don't always process and handle those emotions properly, do we? And so uh, some of us, we uh, bottle up our emotions inside and we don't ever want anybody to know how we feel, uh, whereas on the other end of that spectrum, some of us, we want everybody to know exactly how we feel, right? And so we wear our emotions on our sleeves. And so what we've seen throughout this series is that the Psalms, one by one, over topic, from different topic to topic, they help us and they guide us and they instruct us as to how to deal with our emotions properly, ultimately finding the truth and identity about ourselves in Jesus. They're pointing to Christ. And so uh, I know the last couple of weeks have been a little on the uh, more somber side of the topics. We've talked about despair and, and other issues. And uh, I just want you to know today it's happy, man. We're ended on a happy note. All right. All right. <laughs> so Psalm 100, I actually want to read. It's a short song, uh, but I want to read this in its entirety and then pray that the Lord would bless his word. So would you uh, listen and read along silently as I read aloud? Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Lord, we admit and we confess that we often do not acknowledge and remember your steadfast love and your faithfulness to us. Perhaps that is our greatest dilemma, is that we too often forget the goodness of your heart and how you have expressed that goodness by giving up your own life for ours. Lord, may you fill our hearts with joy today as we dwell on the gospel. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, after I graduated seminary, um, Christy and I were living in Louisville, Kentucky, and we lived in a small little one-bedroom apartment. And so when I got my first pastoral job in South Carolina, we moved uh, down to South Carolina and we lived in the parsonage there on the church property. And so we lived in a house. And so we went from this little apartment to this you know, pretty good-sized house. And, and of course, as a man, I think the first thing I need now that I have a house in my domain, right, is a grill. So I went to, I don't know, Lowe's or Home Depot to, to get 
a grill. And uh, man, I was, I was so excited about this, this grill. And I, I just had this vision for all the you know, amazing cookouts I was going to have and host and, and all the great steaks and, and burgers I was going to cook. And so uh, you know, I, I was just super excited. And, and that excitement, it didn't take long for the excitement to wear off fast. Because let me tell you right now, however much it costs to get Home Depot to assemble the grill for you, Pay that price, okay? Just take my word for it, okay? It, I, do not buy a grill in a box. Terrible decision on my part, because let me tell you, huge mistake. I am not a handyman by any means. My wife will testify to that, okay? No handyman here. My toolbox looks more like a first aid kit, okay? So it was a it was disaster from the get-go. I mean, after days of laboring in the garage, I finally got the grill put together. And then I realized how difficult it is to keep a, it was a charcoal grill, so it wasn't that fancy, but to keep a charcoal grill clean, right? Uh, man, I hated cleaning that thing after every time I used it. And so it was just, you could easily see, I, I fell in love with more of an idea and an image than I did the grill itself. I thought it would bring me so much happiness. And so anyways, long story short, let me tell you, when we moved from South Carolina. Guess what I did with that grill? I left it in South Carolina. <laughs> so the new pastor at the church inherited my old grill. Lucky him, right? Man, I tell you, it's funny the things we do, the things we purchase, the little things we think will make us happy. <laughs> you know, for you, it may not be a new grill. It could just be something else that you really think you need, and you really think you need to purchase this thing, and, and you really do believe that, man, if I only had that, my life would be just better right now. I, I, would, I would have this sense of joy, and, and I would feel more secure, and I would be so happy if I had that. If only I had that. I mean, for some of you, it's not really something tangible as much as it is maybe just going on vacation. Man, a lot of us, boy, we put pressure on our vacations, don't we? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but when I get back from vacation, I'm like, I need a vacation for my vacation, right? But man, we put so much pressure on our, on our trips and, and our endeavors in life to just try to squeeze out happiness and joy. And let me tell you, I think here in America, I think we have done a great job. I think we have mastered the art of buying and attaining fleeting moments of happiness. We're pretty good at that, actually. We're, we're pretty good at at buying things and, and doing things that do make us happy for a little while. But I think we can all, if we're really honest, say that that happiness from whatever the thing is, whatever the trip or the endeavor may be, it wears off pretty quick. And as a nation, as a people, we struggle to find deep, lasting joy. What we're going to see in Psalm 100 that we just read, the main point of this psalm is that deep joy is rooted not in the things of this earth. Deep joy is rooted in authentic worship. If we want joy, then we must truly seek to worship God with authenticity in our lives. So this sermon today, it's about joy, yes, but it's even more so about the way to find it, the way and the path to 
joy, everlasting joy. And as we're going to see, that is through worship. The first thing we see in this psalm is, number one, that worship is what we were made for. So we're going to kind of look at the what, the why, and the how of worship that leads to joy today. So first of all, we see worship is what we were made for. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 100 again. The psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Now, listen, some of you are really talented singers. Others of us, man, we're just trying to make noise. You know what I mean? It's just some noise. But it's joyful, right? It's joyful. It's Right? Yeah, yeah. The purpose, though, right? The purpose here that we see of the entire earth. The purpose of God's creation, though, is to bring glory to him. And so worship, worship is actually the purpose of your life. Worship is the purpose of your life. It's what we were made for. Now, when we hear the word worship, you're probably like me. We always normally, our default um, our default thinking is singing, right? But it's so much more than that. Now, it's hard to define the word worship in one neatly packaged definition. But I think Romans chapter 12, verse 1 can really help us think through the broad scope of the definition of the word worship as it applies to our lives. And uh, I'm going to read actually the NIV of Romans 12, verse 1, because I, I think this wording is very helpful. So here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, Paul says, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now notice there, he doesn't say anything about singing songs. He doesn't say anything about going to church. He says that it is a living sacrifice that is pleasing and holy to God, that, Paul says, is true and proper worship. It's a lifestyle of worship. So I just want to give you a simple definition of worship in the context that we're talking about it today. You could say it this way. Worship is living for the glory of God by submitting your entire life to Him instead of yourself or anything else. Let me, let me read that again. Worship is living for the glory of God by submitting your entire life to him instead of yourself or anything else. So we, we usually think of, of the songs we hear and, and coming to church and all those things that we do in this room, which are parts of worship, yes. But true Worship encapsulates our entire lives. It means that we live in obedience to God's word in everyday practical circumstances. So when you're faced with a temptation, you think about God's word and you think about what he has instructed in this area of your life and you choose to obey. When you think about a difficult circumstance or a relational issue with someone else and you don't know what to say, you don't know how to respond, you look to the Word of God. What has He said 
about this area of your life. How can you be faithful? How can you be obedient in this particular moment? See, that's a lifestyle of worship. It's living in that constant obedience to God's word in the everyday little circumstances. It's prioritizing your life in the, pri- in the right ways. It's making the priorities of God your priorities. It's submitting to him ultimately as the Lord of your life. We call Jesus Savior, but we cannot forget what the word Lord really means. It means that he should be the authority over you. In your everyday life, he is the one that you are constantly returning to and looking to and keeping your eyes fixed upon who actually sub- you, where you actually submit to his authority above any other. It's turning away from your idols. The things that so easily capture our hearts and our attention. The things that we are so drawn to and the things, like I said, whether it's a grill, a vacation, a new car, a new house, the things we think will give us the happiness we've been longing for. Man, it's laying those things down. It's confessing those sinful desires to the Lord and saying, God, whatever you want, let that be the desire of my heart. Forgive me for where I have put something else where you should be. Forgive me for trying to get something to trying to find things in, these, in this stuff that really only you can give me. The peace and the security and the joy, the deep joy I'm looking for. That, that is what it means to submit your entire life to the Lord. It's a daily reckoning. It's a daily remembrance. It's daily obedience. That's worship. That's what we were made for. But one great question we have to ask is, what compels us to worship? What compels us to worship? Well, that's the second thing we see in this psalm. Awe and gratitude are why we worship. So worship is what we were made for, but here's the why. A sense of awe and gratitude before the Lord, that's why we worship. I love how Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says it. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You see what that's saying there? When you dwell on and you think about the kingdom of God that you have been made a part of through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your heart overflows with gratitude. And that gratitude compels you to worship with a sense of reverence, a sense of awe before the Lord, submitting your entire life before him because you're so grateful. You know, you're really not going to be grateful for something unless you take the time to stop and dwell on how impactful that thing is in your life, right? So speaking of when Christy and I lived in South Carolina, so a few years ago, you guys may remember it as well, Hurricane Matthew uh, kind of skirted up the coast. And uh, we, we lived in a very rural area, and we actually got a pretty direct hit uh, from Hurricane Matthew there on the coast of South Carolina where we were, and uh, we lost power for 
at least seven days. I don't remember exactly how long it was. It seemed like an eternity, okay? Because when you live in the country, you're the first person to lose power. You're also the last to get it back. <laughs> and so uh, we, were, we were without power for a long time. And uh, let me just tell you right now. Uh, so I, I borrowed a generator, okay? Uh, and I didn't really know how to use it. But I at least got it to power, no kidding, our microwave and our TV. You know, the top two things we needed, right? Um, <laughs> it was a rough week, man. But let me tell you, I came out of that week more grateful for electricity than I have ever been in my entire life. Absolutely. You know, something means a lot more to us. Something means so much more to us when we truly realize how much we need it when we truly realize how thankful for it we are. Otherwise, we take it for granted. The same is true in our relationship with God. Now, he never quits working like electricity may. He never quits working. He never leaves us. But we, we take his presence for granted and just expect him to be there when we need him. We're the ones that quit. God is there. He is present. He is good. His love endures forever. He is steadfast in his commitment to you. Yet, these things, these idols in our lives that we think will bring us happiness, we get distracted. We are drawn to them. And the next thing we know, we're really not walking with the Lord. And we're not grateful and we sure aren't standing in awe of him. John Piper says that worship is the valuing of God. Think about that. Worship is the valuing of God. How much do you really value the Lord in your life? Really? You see, our problem, our problem is we value so many other things other than God we don't think God himself can be our true source of joy, so he becomes kind of a nice attachment to our lives. You know, m most of us in here, we would never, never say that we are an atheist. But many of us function that way sometimes. We just think that God is a nice attachment and he better be there when we need him. Where we're in a crisis, we're going to pray to him and ask him to deliver us out of it. But when things are good, and when our idols are giving us those fleeting moments of happiness, we're not on our knees. We're not seeking the Lord in those moments. Because he's just an attachment. He's not front and center. He's not truly the Lord. His, he is not the one truly seated on the throne of our hearts. How do we make him front and center? Well, we confess. We confess this problem. We repent. We turn away from those idols that are ruling our hearts. And we slow down. We slow down and we take the time to really dwell on and ponder his greatness and the depths of his love and grace. We take the time to remember the gospel, to preach it to ourselves to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me, that you died in my place. I should have died that death, but it was you because of your great love for me, a sinner, a wicked person with thoughts and desires that you don't want to know. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me 
in spite of my sinfulness, that your great love covers my sin when I turn to you, when I turn away from the idol and I turn to you. Being told by a preacher or being told by your parents or whoever that you should worship, you know what? That's not going to compel you to worship. The only thing that's going to compel you to submit your life before the Lord on a daily, worshipful basis is dwelling on the goodness of God in His Word, communicating with Him through prayer, thanking Him and praising Him for the richness of His sacrifice for you. That's it. Look at the characteristics of God that the psalmist is dwelling on. We need to do this more often. We need to thank God for who He is. We need to learn. We need to learn the characteristics of God more often, more frequently, so that we can express those in words to Him in prayer. Listen to this, verse 3. The psalmist says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So the psalmist, first of all, says here that He is God, He made us. In other words, He's our Creator. Man, how often do you just stop and say, thank you, God, for creating me. Thank you, God, that you are the great creator of all things, that all things one day will bow down before you. All people will bow down before you and worship you. You are our creator. I stand in awe of you. How often do we acknowledge what the psalmist says here, that we are his people, he's our father. He's our Father. You bear the family resemblance because you have been adopted. You have been brought in to the family of God. How often do we take the time to stop and say, thank you, God, for adopting me. Thank you for not only being a great creator, but a great Father. How often do we take the time to say, thank you, Lord, for caring for me as my shepherd? Ultimately, Jesus Christ said he was the good shepherd who became one of us. The good shepherd Jesus became a sheep. He became one of the sheep so that he could die in our place. He was the sacrificial lamb, we say. How often do we thank him for that care, that intimate care and love and presence as our shepherd guiding us through this life, saving us and guiding us? Verse five, listen to this. The psalmist continues. We're going to come back to verse 4 in just a minute. Verse 5, For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. So the psalmist says, in other words, He's good, He's trustworthy. We can trust Him. You can absolutely trust the Lord. Look at how He has proven His steadfast love for you through His redemption in Christ. He is, his love is steadfast and endures forever. It's dependable. It fuels our hope. Our future is secure. How often do we express these things to God? How often do we wake up in the mornings and say, Lord, I am very insecure about my day today and the meeting I have at two o'clock, the conversation I really need to have with my wife. I'm, I'm insecure about all these things, but Lord God Almighty, I am secure in knowing that my future My eternal future is secure. And I have ultimately no 
thing, no fear that needs to rule over my heart today. I know that as my shepherd, you will guide me through that meeting at two o'clock. I know as my shepherd, you will guide me to love my spouse as you have called me to do. It is a remembering. It is a declaration that we must pray to the Lord on a consistent basis if we really want to live a life of worship, if we really want joy. That's it. The Lord is faithful. He's committed, it says, to his people. Look at that. His faithfulness extends to all. It's, it's all generations. And think of how through the generations of time, the church could have fizzled out. It could have just ceased to exist. I mean, it's been 2,000 years. It's been 2,000 years. And think of all the challenges that Christians have endured because of the Lord's faithfulness, that he has preserved his church over the last 2,000 years. I mean, the persecution of the Roman Empire, to right off the bat, right off the bat, the, Romans, uh, the Roman Empire was greatly persecuting Christians in the first couple of centuries. And then you look at the Dark Ages and, and the tumultuous times of that period. And then you look at the great wars of human history and the antagonism toward the gospel. All the things that could have just put the church out, man, knocked them out. But what do we have? Here we are. And that is no testament to me. That is no testament to you. That is a testament of the faithfulness of our good and loving Father whose steadfast love endures through all generations. Think about the faithfulness, not only to the church at large, but the faithfulness of God to you. Think of how, his committed, how he is committed to you. Think of how he is committed and faithful to every season of your life, every chapter of your life. You don't know what the next chapter holds, but he does, and he is leading you and guiding you. He is prompting you with his Holy Spirit. Do you see, do you feel the steadfast love of God that endures in your life? You see, these truths, these truths, these characteristics of our good and faithful Lord, that's where deep joy is found. In that worshipful gratefulness. The author Paul Tripp says this, this is good. He says the DNA of joy is gratitude. When I'm living in self-focused, demanding entitlement, I will find it very hard to be joyful. I will find endless reasons to complain. But if I'm living in the awe of God's existence, sovereignty, and grace, coupled with the knowledge of the depth of my own need, I will find reasons to be thankful all around me. And as I do, I will live with the constant joy of gratitude. When we dwell on the goodness of God, demonstrated to us through Jesus. This is when we truly become grateful. This is when we can't help but sing with joy. We can't separate worship from joy. You can't separate the two. They go hand in hand. John Piper again, he said, God, God created you so that you might spend eternity glorifying him by enjoying him forever. You ever thought about it that way? God created us to enjoy him forever. For he created us for our hearts to be filled with his joy forever and ever. It's the purpose of our lives. It's why that all that gratefulness, it's why we worship. And thirdly today, 
the how. We see here in verse 4, it's with praise and thankfulness. That's how we worship. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. You see, the verse 4 really leads back to verse 1 and 2. It's, it's verses 3 through 5 or how you can truly do what verse 1 and 2 commands initially. How your life can sing with joy. It's this lifestyle of worship that is right in line with our vision statement here at Kernan. As a church, we, Kernan Church, exist to glorify God by making disciples who do what? Worship with authenticity. We want to worship with authenticity, walk in community, and witness as we go. So, so when we gather as a church, as the people of God, when we gather in here, we're not gathering here to put on some kind of show. We're not gathering here to impress the community. We're not gathering here to impress each other. We're not gathering in here to make a name for anybody or ourselves. We are in this room because we are sincerely, we should be, sincerely, authentically grateful for Jesus and who he is and who we are because of his sacrifice. And we must, therefore, we must praise him and thank him for his grace. Uh, the staff and I, we just finished reading a book called Rhythms of Grace. It's about worship um, by Mike Cosper. Really good book. And in the book, we, we like this quote here. Mike Cosper says, Our singing is a testimony, a declaration to those around us of who we are and whose we are. And then he quotes someone named Harold Best says, A congregation is just as responsible to sing the gospel as the preachers are to preach it. Cosper goes on to say, It's an expression of unity for us as a church, to join in one voice and declare to one another that we're on the same page. We're united around the same things. One gospel, one church, one faith, one voice, one song. That song, it's a song of joy. It's praise to Jesus. The last thing I want to kind of talk about here in the Psalm is kind of the result of all of this. We've talked about the what, the why, the how, but kind of the end result here, it's, it's the fruit of all this. The, the fruit of this lifestyle of authentic worship, it's deep joy. It's not surface level happiness. It's not circumstantial happiness, don't get me wrong. It's deep joy. Look back at verses one and two again. As we read this now, see the value and the meaning in these words that comes to light after pondering the goodness of God. Verse 1 and 2 again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. You see, surface level happiness, circumstantial happiness will elude us from time to time. Absolutely. You're not always going to be happy. We're always going to have, I mean, just last week I preached on despair and how real that is. And we go through dark seasons of life where we do not feel joyful or happy. But in the long-term view of your life, and that's what we have to have, man. That's the view we have to have, the long-term view of your life. In the deepest parts of your heart, 
if Jesus is there and he is the one on the throne, he is your Lord that you're submitting to. No matter what comes your way, there will be a deep joy that Satan himself cannot take from you. Joy, joy will be your song. My question for you today as we wrap up is what are you really worshiping? And what I mean is we all worship something. Every single one of us in here. I mean, it may be something as silly and trivial as a new grill. It may be something like a vacation. It may be something like a new boat or a car or house. It may be your person. It may be a relationship you're in. You're putting so much pressure on that person to make you happy that they can't bear the weight of it. You see, we're all worshiping something. The question is what? The answer should be who? Jesus himself. Is he truly seated on the throne of your heart? And if he's not, could you confess that today? Just be honest with him. He knows. He knows, and he is, he's not going to be angry at you if you come to him with a broken heart and a spirit of humility and forgiveness. The Lord will wrap his arms around you and forgive you. Some of you may be in here today, and the truth is you don't even really know why. Your spouse may have drugged you here. You may have come here out of some sense of guilt. But the reality is the Lord Jesus is not the Lord of your heart. He never has been. And he isn't now. And I just want to give you a word of encouragement today. He can be. He wants to love you. His faithfulness can be committed to you over your life. He can save you from the depths of despair. He can save you ultimately from yourself. He can give you a new heart. He can give you a new identity and adopt you into his family. But you must turn away from these idols, the sin we've been talking about. You must turn to him and him alone. And he will accept you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done in your place. May we be a people who worship with authenticity, with heartfelt gratitude for the good and loving God whom we call our Father. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the joy of our salvation. Lord, I pray if anyone here today they know, that, they know that they're yours. They know that you love them. Yet joy eludes them, Lord. They do not feel the joy of their salvation. Lord, as David cried out in Psalm 51, would you restore to them the joy of your salvation? Would you help them, God? Holy Spirit, would you help them and convict them where they need to be convicted? to repent and turn away from whatever idol 
may be ruling over their heart, whatever they're turning to, to find everlasting joy and happiness other than the grace and love and sacrifice that you've given us, Lord. The inheritance you've given us. The eternal future you've given us. Lord, may all of our identities be rooted in you. As we worship you, Lord, would true, deep, lasting joy be the song of our lives. Help us, God. Help us to worship you now. We thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the Psalms that help us express our emotions. But most of all, Jesus, we thank you for you. Not just for what we get out of you, but for you yourself. May you be our ultimate love. May we express that now as your people. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. Lord Jesus, may we come into your presence now with thanksgiving, with singing, with joyful hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us. And we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture.
Great singing, everybody. Amen. Oh,